sometimes in our desire to see or unlock the power within the wound, I think we end up getting entranced by it. We start to think that the wound in and of itself is the power. The wound is the story, the only story. Instead of being just one potential portal to the art, suffering becomes the whole of the art. Welcome to The Inspirited Word, the podcast for visionary writers ready to stop second-guessing their storytelling and ready to start breathing life and spirit back into their craft. I'm writer and editor Mary Lanham, and I'll be your host and fellow seeker as we rediscover the true power of our work, our words, and maybe even ourselves. Hey friends, thanks for being here for today's episode. I'm Mary, and I hope you're doing well whenever and wherever you're listening. Today I'm going to be sharing some thoughts I've been kind of percolating lately about a specific type of life outlook that we're often encouraged to have and that I think can have some unexpected influences on the way we create and the way we write. I'm still sort of working through my full train of thought on this, but I'm going to be diving into it today just from where I'm currently at. If you are a human adult, which as far as I know all listeners of this podcast are, (laughs) you have undoubtedly heard this bit of life wisdom somewhere along your way. You only grow when things are hard. Incarnations of this advice I've seen pop up in pretty much any context you can imagine and in all sorts of nice snappy wordings like no pain, no gain, or growth and comfort do not coexist, or my personal Tony Robbins fave, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. I'm not sure if this um, like subgenre of self-help is as thoroughly ubiquitous anywhere else as it is in the U.S. I would guess maybe it's not, maybe not even in the fellow Anglophone cultures, but I do think this is still a common trope of Western culture in general, particularly in its current form of hustle entrepreneurship. It's the Silicon Valley move fast and break things ethos, but applied to the level of the individual. For my listeners outside the U.S., if you actually have different takes on this topic after listening to this episode, I would genuinely love to hear about them. I I almost started to try to research which cultures are like most enthusiastic about vilifying the comfort zone and, you know, how that has developed over time, like over the past few decades because I'm sure it's fascinating. Uh, But then I realized I would probably spend days just happily doing that instead of actually just like making this episode. (laughs) Anyway, suffice to say, I think Americans in particular are very much on team, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And we apply this barometer to virtually all aspects of life or at least to the aspects of life where we aren't supposed to be chasing material comfort at all costs, figuratively and literally, Um, but more on that later. (laughs) 
In the weeks that I've been thinking about what I wanted to say in this episode, I heard versions of this no pain, no gain advice connected to career, family, dating, health, spirituality, and of course, to writing. And here's the quick version of what I've currently at least decided about it. This idea is at best only half of the equation, and as such, I think it's kind of bullshit. I do understand why the trope is so compelling. Even its corniest formulations are tapping into a vital reality of the human experience. And even of like the cosmos, if you want to zoom out that far. Disruption and crisis play an unavoidable and fundamentally transformative role in the world. Both when we seek disruption in service of deeper discovery, and when disruption comes to us unbidden in the form of hardship or grief. Maybe we've actively chosen to uproot something that has reached an end, or maybe the ground has just unexpectedly shifted under us. But either way, these disruptions carry powerful meaning along with the discomfort or the pain. And storytelling is often the core of how we create that meaning and bring it forward with us. For writers, that storytelling is, of course, literal. Painful experiences often inform our work, whether we're writing a memoir, a poem, or a novel. There can be a huge amount of personal and cultural power in crafting stories from the places where we've been wounded. And that's part of the storyteller's vocation. So maybe as a, you know, creative, soulful sort of human, you aren't particularly swayed by corporate speak like on the other side of your comfort zone is your optimized potential. And no, I didn't make that example up. But maybe you've also heard this common creative guidance. Your deepest wound is the source of your deepest story. And maybe that one sounds pretty compelling and true. I'm honestly not sure whether it's true or not, since deep wounds are indeed pathways to deep experience, transformation, and meaning, maybe the deepest story really is inherently a wounded one. But I'm not entirely convinced that it has to be, and I'm confident that wounded stories aren't the only deep stories, the only stories with value and life. After all, if life truly does only begin at the end of our comfort zones, if the only real meaning comes from crisis, discomfort, and disruption, aren't we throwing out a huge portion of life as being fundamentally empty? Storytellers are people who are permeable to the world, who are open to the narrative and mythic possibilities of our experience. That, I think, is the source of our drive to make meaning through stories. So here's the core of what I'm exploring today. How can we be just as permeable to the meaning and possibility of the ordinary, or even the comfortable, as we are to the meaning of disruption and suffering? And what stories do we miss out on when the wound becomes the whole of the work? Just to repeat a key piece of my thesis, I am not discounting the power of the wound, the potential for growth within suffering. That's not what I'm questioning in this episode. But I am questioning the line where crafting insight from our suffering 
becomes a dogmatic belief that insight inherently requires our suffering, that suffering is the only place insight lives, the only thread of our experience that can teach us anything true and transformative. It sounds sort of odd when it's phrased that way, right? (laughs) And yet this is what principles like nothing grows in the comfort zone are actually literally saying to us. And when we apply that brand of wisdom to our creative work, we can end up inadvertently nurturing another uncomfortable but like weirdly beloved trope, the suffering or tortured artist. To fully flesh out some context here for what I've been thinking about, I want to circle back to something that I just briefly alluded to earlier. And this is going to be one of those segments that might feel like a pretty wide tangent, but it does ultimately tie back into writing. There is a deep contradiction at the center of mainstream American culture. We're supposed to be constantly striving toward maximizing our own material comfort and security. And at the same time, we're told that the way to do that is by continually embracing personal disruption, struggle, and risk. If we work for a company, for example, we're supposed to strive for recognition and promotions, even if the expectations are exploitative or just don't make sense for our lives, both because we should always want to make more money no matter what, and because are we even living if we're not struggling past the edge of our comfort zone and optimizing our potential? On the other hand, if we're working for ourselves, either by choice or just by gig economy circumstance, the pressure to strive and risk can be, I think, even more acute. When discomfort is the barometer for growth and you're also in a situation where the line between work and life is so readily blurred, it's incredibly easy for your life to become just like one giant practice of discomfort all the time. no matter how much material success you have or haven't reached. The idea of ever choosing to stop at enough, at our current comfort zone, is synonymous with a lack of ambition, or with laziness, or even with stupidity. Making the most money possible, and also then hoarding it, (laughs) is supposedly how we access the most security and freedom. And from that lens, choosing to decline to risk and strive for more comfort in favor of just enjoying the comfort you've already got, it doesn't really compute. So I think all of this can ultimately combine to create a self-fulfilling prophecy about growth being impossible within the comfortable or the ordinary. When your current level of material comfort or personal achievement is never culturally allowed to feel like enough, it's difficult to find any deep meaning and possibility there. The new level of achievement or the new normal that you stepped out of your comfort zone to reach is now just the next comfort zone to reject. And there's another layer to the self-fulfilling prophecy. In a culture where both your value as a person and your material security are fundamentally tied to your ability to earn ever-increasing amounts of money, there isn't ever really full security, because your ability to earn can always go away. Disruption and discomfort can always come to you instead of you going to it. 
the narrative that striving for more is always worth it, no matter the context, that it will always make your life better and safer, that narrative can pretty easily fall apart under the weight of the unexpected. Of course, if you actually don't have enough, if you're already struggling to survive, then the narrative makes even less sense. I see you're currently suffering under a lack of societal support and basic material security. Have you considered optimizing your potential by going outside your comfort zone? No pain, no gain. Since the narrative has these sort of obvious holes in it, why are we so ready to buy into the idea that ordinary and enough are inherently meaningless or not valuable? And here I mean we as in the vast majority of society. I think a big part of it is fear. We're afraid of the reality that suffering and comfort aren't actually mutually exclusive experiences. Or in other words, that comfort doesn't protect us from change. Our dominant culture isn't really built to acknowledge that even the ordinary, the known, and the comfortable holds a foundational seed of uncertainty at its center. And that uncertainty obviously can't be controlled. We don't grow when we're comfortable because we're kind of deluding ourselves that comfort is truly synonymous with stability and therefore a lack of growth. It's not actually the comfort in and of itself, I think, that holds us back. It's the mollifying certainty that because something is familiar, because something is ordinary and comfortable, we've already experienced everything that it has to offer. Certainty inherently denies the simple reality that things are still and always changing and unknown. This is the only hard truth, no matter what's happening to us or how we're dealing with it. To be just alive is to live with the prospect of unknown yet inevitable change and transformation. And yes, sometimes that uncertainty emerges as disruption, as suffering. So that constant unknown can become sort of like the closet under the stairs where our anxiety grows itself, munching on, you know, spiders and old shoelaces and all the unwanted crap that we shove down there into the dark. And it can feel like that's all darkness is. Night terrors and monsters, or at least just junk we should probably throw away. But the darkness, that which is there but has no shape, is also the hideaway of hope. It's where our dreams come from, our imagination, our storytelling. Darkness, the presence of uncertainty, gives us the freedom to create and to invent. In the darkness, we know that things can and do and will change. This might be starting to sound suspiciously like just a quasi-poetic formulation of no pain, no gain. But here's the bit that the trope consistently overlooks. That generative, visionary side of uncertainty is still present in the comfort zone, which inherently means that possibility, life, wonder, and growth are still available in the familiar and the ordinary. We just have to be curious and attentive enough to expose it. We don't see the ever-present potential for growth because we aren't looking for it until something deeply, utterly uncomfortable happens and forces us to acknowledge that change was actually right there all along. 
life in all its dark, glorious and unknown potential wasn't actually waiting safely at the edge of the comfort zone. So is it possible for fear to keep us, quote unquote, stuck in our comfort zone in ways that prevent us from fully experiencing life? Yes, absolutely. Is it possible for fear to also keep us constantly dashing straight out of the comfort zone without even looking around to see what's really there? Also, yes. Even the ordinary and the comfortable has a bright shining edge where what we know now folds into the dark of what we don't know yet or what we've forgotten. Sometimes it takes suffering, voluntary or otherwise, for us to meet and cross that edge. But what if sometimes, and maybe even often, it doesn't? Okay, so how does all of that somewhat grandiose philosophizing connect to the ideal of the suffering or tortured artist? I think the contradiction at the heart of that move fast and break things, no pain, no gain narrative, I think it's uniquely limiting for people with artistic vocations. And it creates a very weird, skewed set of ideals that we can often apply to our vocations without realizing it. The promised trade-off for taking risks, for constantly dragging yourself out of the comfort zone, or even for enthusiastically leaping out of the comfort zone, the trade-off is supposed to be growth, fulfillment, and security, as measured by financial gain. That's like the prize or the boon that props up the narrative that it's never okay to stop striving. It occludes the core reality that continual striving doesn't actually always equal increased security or even increased meaning and growth. When you're trying to do artistic work, you tend to not even get the boon. It's certainly possible to access financial gain through art, but it's not realistically possible for all artists. This leaves us essentially with only the striving half of the narrative. We've been taught that striving is always inherently valuable. It's an invisible base assumption. So in the absence of consistent monetary value for our work, I think we naturally tend to over-identify with the striving, with the ethic of struggle. And that can influence the entire way we conceive of what it means to be storytellers. Artistic struggle in and of itself can become the wound that we think will birth our deepest story. A little over a year ago, I received this piece of advice about reclaiming my creative life. I didn't have to tear open all of my wounds to do it. On the one hand, this sounded quite appealing, but on the other, it also sort of confounded me. Aren't the wounds where all the good stuff is? Doesn't true, vulnerable, enlivened storytelling require continually tearing stuff open? Sometimes in our desire to see or unlock the power within the wound, I think we end up getting entranced by it. We start to think that the wound in and of itself is the power. The wound is the story, the only story. And once we've decided that, then the next logical assumption is that if we're not absorbed in that wound, if we're not actively suffering, or if we're not pushing ourselves to the edge of punishment in our work, then we're not telling any stories worth exploring. 
instead of being just one potential portal to the art, suffering becomes the whole of the art. One way that I've noticed this sort of conceptual fallacy playing out is in the work of storytellers who base their art around living outside of mainstream culture. I have a big soft spot for creative nonfiction writers and also just general content creators who live off the grid or practice extreme minimalism or who travel full time. The last sort of person that you would expect to be following mainstream standards for assessing the value and the meaning in their lives and in their creative work. And yet, so often the invisible or even the overt assumption about the value of striving and challenge, so often that assumption is still very much at work in the way these storytellers craft meaning out of their experiences. One example of this is the travel filmmaker Ava Zubek, who I've been following on YouTube for the past few years. She's recently grappled publicly with the intense creative and physical burnout that can come from conflating struggle with growth or meaning. One of these videos is linked in the show notes, and Zubek is a really compelling storyteller and filmmaker, so I do recommend checking out her work. She's talked about the feelings of obligation and even of shame that can develop out of a natural desire to explore and grow. In her case, specifically through things like physically demanding challenges and through travel to dangerous locations. When you're the kind of storyteller who creates your work out of things like running ultramarathons on remote mountain trails and who has literally camped in a snowstorm in Antarctica... It's pretty easy to see how a creative ethic of nothing ever grows in the comfort zone can get acutely unsustainable. Unless you also live out of a backpack and write about it, this example might seem too extreme for thinking about, you know, more mundane flavors of suffering in the name of art. But I actually think it's illuminating to see that creative desire for deep, vulnerable and raw storytelling taken to one possible extreme. Humans are, in many ways, actually wired for crisis and for extremes. We have to be in order to survive. So there are types of meaningful experience that we only access through distress and disruption, for better and for worse. This can look like the ecstatic high of the exhausted marathon runner, It can look like the catharsis and discovery that comes from writing the story of a deep life wound. Or it can look like a writing practice and creative life that has become nothing but striving and struggle. No freedom for play and presence and just contentment. When we get too attached to the creative power of the wound, when we buy into the belief that there is no creativity or growth outside of crisis, That's when we end up worshipping at the altar of the suffering artist. We conflate our suffering with our value. And we might even resist the full creative potential of actually working through our wounds creatively. Because if we heal them, then what the hell will we write about? Of course, creative healing is probably not going to be a one-and-done kind of thing, but that's a tangent for a different episode. So here are two questions I've been considering that I think might be able to help us start to shift our experience to get unentranced with the wound. Number one, 
how might we begin to acknowledge and validate our struggles without then actually valorizing struggle as an end in itself, as the primary marker of creative value and vulnerability? And question number two, how can we practice finding creative meaning in the ordinary and even, dare I say, in the comfortable? I'm going to offer myself and my relationship with this podcast as another case study in the way that hidden assumptions about striving and about challenge can basically screw up a creative project. (laughs) You will likely not be surprised to hear that I work from a script when I'm recording these episodes. I do ad-lib a bit as well, but each episode basically gets written as an essay first. This is partly because I do all the production work and the editing is, the audio editing, I should say, is way easier and faster when I use a script. But the format does also come out of the relational way that I've tried to approach this podcast. I don't know what the episodes are actually going to be about until I'm completely finished writing them. I start with a general or sometimes even vague concept or question, and then I take two to three writing sessions and just kind of see where they go. It feels like the podcast and I are sort of noodling around with the concept together. Podcasts are often interviews, and in my case, it's sort of like I'm interviewing the podcast or the podcast is interviewing me. I don't know, that's weird maybe, but for the most part, it's worked really well for this project. The writing process has been much more fluid and less just fraught than my typical history with writing. But this month was more challenging. I had a bit of a mental health flare-up early in the month that required shuffling my calendar around, And so I didn't get to scripting the pod when I'd planned. And then when I did get to it, the process felt sort of like walking in circles in a mud pit. (laughs) And I found myself thinking, you know, these scripts have always ended up somewhere that I'm really happy with and excited to share. But this is going to be the one. This is going to be the first one that just sucks. (laughs) I can feel it. It's happening. The joyful discovery phase is done. (laughs) I don't think it's a coincidence that back at the end of June, after the sixth episode dropped, I made a conscious shift in the way I was thinking about this project. I started to feel like, okay, I've made six of these episodes. I'm feeling familiar with this creative process. It's obviously time to think more actively about how to help the podcast grow and how to reach more people with it. With the hindsight that has come from making this episode, I realize now that this shift in the way I was thinking was also a shift out of creative mode and into striving mode, into that idea of nothing grows in the comfort zone. And I wasn't approaching it that way consciously. I didn't see originally that this month's topic was actually directly about me and the pod itself. But I realize now that over the past couple months, I've gradually fallen right into an ingrained narrative about my own comfort zone, one that many self-employed people know all too well. When it comes to marketing my work and reaching people, 
if I'm not actively uncomfortable with pretty much everything I'm doing, if I'm not constantly in that headspace of striving and pushing and finding the next uncomfortable thing, the next uncomfortable area for growth, if I'm not feeling that way, then it means I'm doing it wrong. It's never allowed to feel good or natural or slow. If it does, I'm clearly not pushing myself hard enough. I'm missing out on my own potential. And then, of course, there's the fear that if I do push myself and it doesn't immediately pay off, that's obviously because my work has no value and I just suck because, you know, pushing and being uncomfortable is the thing that works. So if it doesn't work, then obviously I'm the problem. That is the wound that I brought right into the center of this creative project this month, completely unconsciously. I think this is often the energy that we do start to bring into our creative lives. All that training that we've received, that real valuable work is difficult. And that your own value is measured basically by your willingness and ability to successfully pull up your own bootstraps with all your might. All of that work ethic can become our creative ethic without us even realizing it. It bears repeating here that I'm not saying working hard is bad, (laughs) or that being expected to work hard sometimes is bad, or that being challenged and uncomfortable isn't occasionally necessary or illuminating. But there has to be some kind of active balance. We have to find ways of holding on to the value of what's comfortable for us, ways of nurturing our capacity to keep finding wonder and possibility and growth within what's familiar and ordinary. I once actually saw a possibly dubious stat that most podcasts don't release more than seven episodes. And I started feeling pretty comfortable and ordinary about this podcast at episode six. So maybe that's around the time that the novelty wears off and most people assume that just means they're over it. Or on the other hand, they'd stress themselves out so much about chasing growth that they just quit. In last month's episode on creative values, I mentioned how a certain kind of story can require you to become a certain kind of storyteller that we have to evolve and change to meet the story on common ground. Sometimes this is a classic now exiting the comfort zone kind of experience. But I think, I hope, that there are also powerful ways to evolve and change and expand into comfort, into a creative ethic of the ordinary. And I think there are meaningful stories waiting to meet us there. Stories that we won't find if we only ever focus on the wound. In a culture that doesn't want us to stand still and value the ordinary, because then we might quit striving for more and more stuff, (laughs) that actually feels pretty powerfully disruptive. Which maybe kind of invalidates my original thesis. Like if staying in the comfort zone is then disruptive and uncomfortable, maybe we are actually leaving the comfort zone by staying in the comfort zone. Uh, I think this just became a giant circle. Anyway, my final point is this. Yes, sometimes you'll have to push yourself in ways that are uncomfortable. Sometimes you'll even suffer. And you'll craft deep and wondrous and vital stories out of that suffering. 
But your creative power doesn't lie solely in suffering. Storytelling is more than constant suffering, even more than constant striving. So you're allowed to have a practice of storytelling that's more than that, too. This is what I am personally going to be experimenting with, finding ways to help me maintain my living relationship with this podcast, instead of gradually turning it into an empty, stressful chore and a repository for all the ways I have failed to optimize my potential. If you're a member of the newsletter circle, check your inbox for two prompts to help you get started with your own experimentation. And if you're not currently getting the monthly tips to put the ideas from this pod actually into more concrete practice, you can join us by scrolling down on whatever device or page you're currently listening from. Just look for the link right above the episode resources section. And as always, until next time, keep well, keep writing, and I'll see you in the next episode. That creates a very weird, skewed set of ideals that we can often apply to our vacations with it. <laughs> ah, yeah, we're really, we're struggling with these vacations. We're struggling through it. Somebody help us.